Brett Morgan is the Academy Award-nominated director and producer of such wonderful documentaries as Chicago 7, The Kid Stays in the Pitcher, Crossfire Hurricane, and most recently, Kurt Cobain, Montage of Heck. He is simply one of the best young filmmakers going, and certainly one of the most exciting people making documentaries today. Let's begin. All right. Welcome to another edition of the Chris Kirkwood Podcast. I'm Bill Cody. I'm the producer. Say hello, Chris. Hi, everybody. Uh, What a treat to be here at uh, Winslow Court. Winslow Court Studios. Doing another delightful edition of the Chris Kirkwood Podcast. And uh, today we're fortunate enough to have Brett Morgan as our guest. Uh, I'm going to say one of the best filmmakers of the last 15 to 20 years. Wow. Uh, with, well, with solid credentials. And we're going to go through some of the... Well, should we? which film should we start off with? Or should we mention a few of them? Let's just tear right into it. Brett, thanks for coming down. Oh, yeah, man. Are you kidding? This, <laughs> <laughs> I should be thanking you. So Brett makes movies. Yeah. So what the fuck... Oops, I'm, I'm trying not to cuss. Yeah, you're supposed to no, You can less. cuss. Yes. Yeah. But I can but, cuss, but, but I'm trying not to. We're on a podcast. But I'm trying not to because, you know... Uh, you have your reasons. I have my reasons. So, so... When Kurt and I were kids, my brother Kurt, mm-hmm. the guitar player in the Meat Puppets, we made movies, mm. you know? Uh, it was the era of the 8mm camera. Mm-hmm. Right, so at one point, an eight millimeter came into our, into our world, mm-hmm. and 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 Kurt did this stuff. I mean, it was really Kurt, you know. But I mean, I played along with it. Right, I'm the younger brother, so, but we made a couple of really great movies. He made he made one, called A Cloak and Dagger Affair, mm-hmm. right, and I starred in it. Mm-hmm. So and he di- he directed it, right, mm-hmm. and uh, and like. We were using stop motion animation, right? So at one point, I'm in I'm on our back patio. Which is the patio where my monkey Abner expired? Okay, right? everybody knows about this. We story. all know about the monkey. No, we know about Abner. And okay, it's a, we it's know a about crushing Abner. story. So but this is the same patio. So I stop for a second, right, and then we jam an arrow into my chest, right, and suddenly, as the you know the 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 spy that I'm supposed to be or whatever, I've been shot in the chest with an arrow. He made another one, and I think I've probably talked about this too, but too fucking bad. This is my show, and I'll talk about what I want to. He made another one called The Egg. And this was, uh, it was an animated piece, right? Where he used paper clips to do the hinging parts of the, like the animated uh, construction paper bits. Mm-hmm. And it's an egg. It hatches. Uh, the bird comes out. It, it wanders around. It sees the world. There's pollution. There's violence. There's, you know, unrest in the world. And the, the bird actually comes back and go, jumps back into the egg and closes itself back up, right? So... We and, and then oh then we sat out I sat out on the driveway you know and scooted myself along as you could with eight millimeter and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So how that how did you get into film? I just like going to the movies. You like going it to was, the movies. It was to me. You see, it's interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking it makes perfect sense to me that that's what you and your brother were doing because I think of you and your brother as the way I think of Kurt Cobain as artists with like capital A like it's whether it's music that's just my vibe as an outsider right that you guys were you know and so it makes perfect sense because what you were describing is also sounds very much like films Kurt was doing right Mm -hmm. back when he was a kid I just I my first memories are being in the movies of being in the cinema I couldn't speak until I was five 
um, physically could not speak. I had like a severe speech impediment. So I was in therapy till I was 16. Okay. But till I was five, I couldn't speak a word. Okay. I could think, but I couldn't speak a word, right? So um, uh, to me, I always found the cinema to be so comforting, right? So just sort of, you know, the whole experience of it. And so my love of my love of movies is why I make movies, not like I didn't have to make movies. I never felt like I had to make them creatively, like as an outlet. It was more like sculpting your own experience. Ah. And um, so, yeah, so it's interesting because I, 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 someone just asked me about this um, to talk on a panel about uh, my favorite video stores. And I was like, dude, even in the 80s, I try to see everything on film. Like it's, it was, and to this day, I don't even know if it's an addiction to popcorn or what it is, but it, it's literally about the movie. This way, some guys like to go to the corner bar. Right. I like to go to movie theaters, any right. opportunity I have to this day. They're dark, you know? Safe. It's They're, dark. It's, it's, and you know, you know what it is, man? And this is going to sound fucking terrible, but in general, even on a bad movie, I always figure like that two hours of condensed visceral entertainment is generally going to be two hours with. I don't mean any disrespect to my friend Dave, my best friend, if he's listening, but it's like would generally be two hours with my friend Dave. You know, like I like the fucking, and I'm just, that's my thing. I like being in a movie theater. So, you know, I started making documentaries. If you know my documentaries, that may give you some sort of clue because they're all sort of designed, they're sort of movies. They're more movies than documentaries. Well, like that, that, they're scored you, you in sound movies. design. You don't, and, and I don't, you know more about Chris, but I, I've made some movies myself, documentaries. You know that Bill made Athens, Georgia, Inside Out, right? Oh, no yeah. shit. I didn't know that, Bill. Uh, this, Bill made that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made yeah. that film many years ago. Yeah. And I've Bill's made so a film since. guy. Yeah. But what I love about your films is they're films. Yeah. Okay? It's the same thing that I always loved about um, uh, Errol Morris. Yeah. He's a filmmaker. Yeah. You can lump him in and say, oh, he's a documentary filmmaker, but yeah. he's a filmmaker, and so are yeah. you. Yeah. And... I mean, and uh, he's more highbrow. He's a highbrow filmmaker. What's that? <laughs> I'm a lowbrow filmmaker. He's a highbrow filmmaker. <laughs> but, but you know, I think to me it was always it started with, with, and that still is for me to a certain extent. When I do a project, it's all about what can I do? Like, what is the op what opportunities are there cinematically well, with this film? Well, That's why. Start let's start uh, out with the kids. You know, oh, the, the kids, kids stays stays in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's kind of your breakthrough movie where everybody started to know who you were, right? Well, I, I, I did a film. No, you know, it's interesting. I did a film um, before that that was a cinema verite documentary about three inner city boxers and the relationship with the trainer at a gym in Bedford Stuyvesant called On the Ropes. Okay. And that got nominated for an Oscar. That was my thesis from college, and that got nominated for an Oscar, and that sort of put us on the map and positioned us for the kids' days in the picture. Okay. How old are you, Brett? Uh, 46. Okay. Yeah. So I'm the age, I just have to do the non-secular, I'm the age where when I was probably the most, those critical years, 13 or 14, where I walked into fucking Rhino on Westwood Boulevard and saw Me Puppets 2. I, and tell me if I'm wrong, if my memory's fucked on this, okay. within a week or two of Double Nickels on the Dime and Zen Arcade. It, like my memory, all three of those albums probably. were like boom, boom, boom. Like consecutive weeks, which if you think about it, of that era, three best seminal, at least in my. Yeah, but we didn't know that at the time. You no, know what I mean? Of course not. It, I mean, just, it was the same thing. Where, where incredible. That was some real naive stuff. You know, yeah. it was uh, maybe not for those other dudes. You know, I mean, Michael is still Mike Watt. You know, still a dear, dear pal. 
D's gone, you know, and stuff. Yeah. And Georgie's still around. And uh, the guys from Husker are still around, you know. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know, from my standpoint, I mean, it was it was naive as fuck, you know. It was definitely like, um, it was just the love of like having found something that I actually found I- I- enjoyable to do. So and there certainly wasn't like a, an awareness of the fact that, you know, we were doing anything special at that point, you know. So... No, it was like discarded art. I mean, it was like the fact that it was like every week there was like SST was like, there was so much so much good music coming out of that period. It's so fast, so prolific. I mean, you guys are continue to be totally prolific, but that I just remember that like one little moment in time where it was like, oh fuck, it was like everything. You, it was. It, it, I have to ask you this. Sorry, I know we were talking about film, but I, 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 I was, no, that's okay. I gotta I do actually, the. I gotta do the change on this. Oh yeah. The, uh, and and forgive me because you know how excited I am to talk to you because I will <laughs> say that there were like there were the, 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 me puppets too, and I'm sorry to go back to it. Is to this day one of my three favorite rock albums ever made. Well, thanks, man. And I, I hate to qualify it like that, but it's in my mind, and I don't know if this makes any sense to you because, like, for me, it's like Astro Weeks by Van Morrison. Mm-hmm. Me puppets too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone's ever drawn that a connection to you. Sure, but um, the the thing with me puppets too that I've always wanted to ask you was it, the sound coming off of the, the first album, which is so you know is hardcore. The country tinge. When I think of the desert, I think of I mean my image of the desert has been kids in the generation before me grew up with John Wayne, mm-hmm. and that's how the West was defined. Me puppets too defined the West for me. That was like my image of the desert and the West and that landscape and that view of America. And it's fucking twisted in my mind because I remember I was really into Roger Waters' Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking album. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Which is like, um, and, and I had a poster of that in my room. And the, somehow that also, because Waters was doing his American, what was like a fucking epic American narrative. But somehow those also get twisted in my mind in a weird way. But the... Punk was so homogenous as a musical genre, like at that time, and what you guys did by bringing in the sort of roots influence. What it was, I think, in a way, like I said, naivety. You know, in yeah. a way, and and not even naivety. I mean, it didn't. We didn't even need that. I mean, it just happened to be the the art that we were making at that time. You know, and we got to a particular point as a band, and I. You know, I credit my brother and Derek, you know, Bostrom, our drummer, from for allowing me to be a part of it, definitely, uh, was just doing the art that we wanted to do at that point. And I think what, what, what Phoenix in particular, you know, because we're from Phoenix, you know, allowed us to uh, get to was a place that was just, and the times as well. I mean, I don't, I don't even want to try to get into this crap and try to qualify it, but definitely we were going to do what we were going to do. You know, we wanted mm-hmm. to do the, the work that we wanted to do. And somehow now over all the years, it's taken on this, you know, this like, you can look back and see the part that you played in it. But definitely at the time it was the, I think youth had a lot to do with it. You know, we were young and, and what the arts are. I mean, it's what I really dig about the arts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just this, the outer edge of the mind. What the fuck is it to be? You know, why are we here? And, you know, and we're going to be gone. You know, all, all of that, that that entails. And at that particular point, you know, I mean, I, I was coming out of my childhood, you know, and my brother and I, you know, it, my brother is a guitar player. So there was familial influence that was afoot, you know, and then just the next stage of what it is to, you know, find yourself an outlet 
to say something, you know, to do something, mm-hmm. you know. So, and that, I mean, that's kind of where it was at, you know. Can, and can I ask a question now that you brought this up? Because yeah. we've never had an opportunity. Oh, Jesus uh, I've sorry, years. sorry, yeah. <laughs> but did you guys think about the sequencing of that record? Mm-hmm. Because we thought about. So all of funny it. you said that because I was just listening to it in the car on the way over here, and I was thinking that when you because out. I'm fucking you know to me it's uh, I, these films are. They're, they're meant to be I don't like when people take clips out of them and shit like that it bums me out and I was thinking that you open side A and side B with you know hard fast tracks right split myself in two and what opens side B um, 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 sorry sorry but it's another it's another fucking fast track and I was listening to it in the car where it's a CD now and I know so I know what was side A and side B but if you're listening to it now Right, it's it, like it when you really, made albums, when you made LPs, right, really, vinyl. You were and because we're talking about sequencing. You're sequencing it for side A and side B. Yeah, and then, then fucking CD comes along. Does that fuck with you a little bit? It, I've heard it both ways, and it actually is a strange record. And you're looking at me funny, but it actually the sequencing <laughs> on CD to, works really well. Yeah, because I mean that it opens just, with. I, see, and, here's the thing. I think that album sucks. Okay. I knew you were going to say that. You know, I mean, yeah. here's the thing, Brad. Yeah. I'll tell you yeah, this yeah. much. Yeah. I had really discovered the joy of the psychedelic experience at that point. Okay. Yeah. And the enhancement that uh, uh, could be achieved through fucking drug taking, yeah. honestly, you know, yeah. we were fucked up out of our gourds when we made that fucking record, you know, and to have so much fucking. You're, and there's you're, not you're that using much. You're the F word a lot again. Oh, oh, am I? Okay. So. Okay. To have so much fucking, you know, experience, you know, <laughs> you know. So I mean, it, it was just. Uh, let's see, what were we talking about? A sequencing of Meat Puppets too, but you oh, don't right. like the record. No, that record. That, that's a. That's a. It's pretty bitching. I thought it was cool as fuck. Uh, I think it. I think it was a. Uh, uh, it was my brother. It was really cool to experience, right? Yeah. Because I really enjoyed playing. Yeah. You know, this is just from my personal side of things, yeah. right? Uh, to suddenly have these compositions. Uh, existing, you know, coming out of my brother, right? Because, yeah. like, Me Puppets one was, it, it's not like you couldn't call that really a punk rock record, but I mean, it was like still a little more, like, you know, I mean, it was screamy. It had yeah. to do with like muscle and, like, you know, I'm going to make my fucking, my guts come out of my fucking ear holes, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, but then suddenly to get to like the next le- level, that was already implied through me, Puppets One. There was, you know, we 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 didn't that that was implied in a way. You know, there was touching upon those things. There was, you know, somewhat. So, but to get to the next level, it, it was like a a really bitching place to get to to learn how to play. You know, and learn mm-hmm. how to make records and stuff. And I mean, I'm, I find myself surprised. I'm surprised. I'm surprised at the level of fucking you know consideration that the record gets at this point knowing what what went into it you know but it was a really lovely place to be at and i think it speaks to like what the human experience in a lot of ways and i'm really pleased that you know people give that much of a crap about it in a lot of ways you know it's like it just is what it is you know but i mean i i mean yeah there was like 30 
four, oh, uh, th- <laughs> 35 years ago and you evolved and then people, and then there's that thing where people talk about this thing that you did in like, I think you guys, didn't you do that really fast? Like in a day? That it took, it, that, that went in, went down in a couple of uh, sessions. We did like the recording part of it. And I'm telling you, dude, we were on yeah. fucking drugs when we did it. I'm well, just, yeah. You know, we just flat out work. <laughs> but I was on drugs when I first heard it and I've <laughs> since not been on drugs and it still sounds great, which is awesome. Well, I think yeah. uh, that was part of my thing back then. Back then, back then I discovered that like the, you know, the, 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 chemically enhanced experience you know yeah. was like the the fucking outer edge of like you know of thought and like you know artistic consideration all this kind of crap right so i was like man i gotta get hammered to make yeah. this crap or else when i listen to it later i'm not gonna be able to dig it enough or not you know either way we were fucked up when we made it not that much enough to be able to to get it done we did it and then later we came back and the vocals were done later you know the mm-hmm. the instrumental parts mm-hmm. were done first you know and then we came back later, and and I rem- I do remember real clearly driving home from Los Angeles, right? We came out here to make the the, the fucking thing, and we got the tracks down, and and driving home, and just being really satisfied with like some of the playing stuff. But I have to say though that so much of it had to do with my love of things that had come before us, you know, and how close we came to approximating some of the stuff that I really, really dug. Not not like aping it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but be, as being mm-hmm. as satisfying as some of that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the fucking Grateful Dead, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and or Neil Young. I mean, I'm, these things, you know, and maybe, maybe it was the... I don't know, there's no maybe involved, but I mean, there was just something that was really fucking satisfying about what we got into. Spot played a huge part of that, you know, the guy that, that engineered that, you know. The studio that we did it at, we did it at, at Total Access in Redondo Beach, you know. SST played a huge part in it. Those guys allowed us to go in and do what we wanted to do, you know. The big fat fucking sack of MDA that we had, you know, we had a big fucking bag full of fucking... <laughs> dope that we were pulling big lines <laughs> off of you know and and you know and that's just me that's the that's the part that i play i'm the fucking you know i'm the clan i'm the band jester mm-hmm. you know so i can talk about these kind of things you know but ultimately what it was was the birth of my brother as a fucking one of the you know america's you know and, 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 and as a composer you know mm-hmm. the guy was coming up with really bitching shit that allowed definitely me to get to like music in a way that i found really really fucking satisfying you know so um fuck that shit man we're talking let's talk about some of the movies you made (laughs) Uh, can i just ask one more question before we we, we blow past it um i'm I'm faking when i say let's talk about you i'm faking yeah no i I, I, (laughs) one thing though because as a genre it's first of all a couple things i i was a deadhead and i like punk and so I'm like, you know, trying to figure out the synergy in, in the sound there. And I remember used to, I used to see Henry Rollins walking around dead shows that I always felt like they were on the initial thought, of course, a little incongruous when you, as, you know, from the outside. But the punk as a musical genre, mm-hmm. I guess looking back at the time felt sort of like it didn't have the sort of room for experimentation that Meat Puppets 2 had. Like, it felt, you know, it's a very homogenous world in its right. own way, right. right? And, you know, it was very, I think, it's sort of much more, like all subcultures tends to be somewhat restrictive, you mm-hmm. know? And in terms of being able to step outside of it safely, right. you know? And so the country, to, I, I call it country or roots, whatever you want to call it, is so, I, I can't even think of any other albums of that time that, boldly were so audacious as to go there 
you know, and to, and to, I don't know. I mean, can you, is there no, anyone, no. is there anything else like that? And that's well, why. That, that's what's, I think that's the thing that people stick to that one record and the record after it, but. Up on the Sun. Up on the Sun, but Up on the Sun goes a different place. Yeah, yeah, keep, and, yeah, but, yeah. but the, but there's, there's nothing, nothing like that, right? There's nothing there's like There's never it. been. No. But there is, though. There, I mean, there's like what? been. Everything, I know everything, influences every in breath that anybody, every breath that any human takes at any fucking point is course. absolutely entirely unique unto itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And oh, here uh, in in brief, and I don't really believe this, but I, I got to fucking fill time on our show here. But I mean, I nominally do. What what it allowed us, what allowed me as as somebody that could that wasn't that into it. You know, I mean, yeah, I wasn't yeah. a fucking punk rocker. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I thought. Some of that was neat. What it was was there was just suddenly the opportunity to make art in a really low level way. You know what I mean? Right. Where you didn't have to have, you know, big business. You didn't have to fucking like wear, you know, capes or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could get out music recorded, you know? So in that it was, in that it still was within the realm of punk rock, you know? And as far as like, where we were taking it, that that's just far out. That's what punk rock was to right. me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and definitely, you ask any of those fucking guys. You know what I mean? They, they they didn't go to that direction to have people imitate them. It was it was the realm of like this is our new little breath of fresh air. You know? You know this is. But it's still though. Here's the thing though. It yeah. absolutely was not that motherfucking groundbreaking. It just wasn't. You know? Mm. I mean, you know, it goes back to people have been doing wonderful things for a long fucking time, you know, and, you know, and you, you stand on the shoulders of giants and all mm -hmm. that kind of crap, you know, and, and, and what we did was, it was nominally interesting, but I think the people that I fucking like are a hell of a lot better. And I know that I fucking, I, I you know, I, I'm, I, I you know, you, you were standing at a moment and I, and I'm gonna throw. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna find a way to sneak into here. your work because no, but it's like I talk about Brett's movies. Jesus no, no, well, we, we are in a minute. But but here's the thing: is there was a time and a and a moment in American cinema where some things had broken down, like the old dinosaur acts broke down, and young people got in. I don't know if you even thought about it at the time, but it was there was a group of American bands that had an opportunity to to birth themselves in the the early to mid 80s that for whatever reason cuz the the record companies had kind of forgotten about America they were all like let's sign wham and 14 bands like it um that you got to incubate you know and there was this group of clubs that you were able to play in and you were able to make a, a, a okay living. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And and, and I, I do think I think that's kind of what you're getting to in some ways is like that the Minutemen, Husker Du, and you know, REM barely gets the credit, but they were in there too, were doing these things that weren't what was coming before exactly, but they were, you know, rooted in things before. But you got a chance to actually be a certain type of band without like having to, you know, wear the uniform and uh, exactly, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, I saw you guys play with White Yoakum and McCabe's, you know, totally. You and know? that was like in the context of going to shows at what was the club, um, the Cafe de Grand. You know, oh, it yeah, it was like such a, a fucking journey, like they were such different worlds. You know, there you guys are, we're sitting, I think we were sitting on the floor. You know what the show I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know. Yes. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that me and Mike Watt disagree about, right? Okay. 
Okay, Michael thinks, and he's probably right, right? Because I'm pretty fucking out of it, right? <laughs> and I will, you know, I can't help but admit that. But I thought that I met Michael at the cafe one night, right? Yeah. We're playing there, and I'm standing outside. This is a club in Los Angeles. For people who don't know, Cafe de Grand was a club in Los Angeles. And this is like 81 or something, you know? And I'm out front, right? I'm just yeah. hanging out front. And all of a sudden, the fucking pigs show up, yeah. right? You know, the cops show up. And, yeah. and it was fucking... Uh, what 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 are they called? What what's the what's that uh that version of the cops? They're called like um the SWAT team or like no? They have the you know, pigs, no, the pigs, the pigs. You know, Daryl uh, Gates stormtroopers. And, and they came into the club and they're like, the ah, da, 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 da. it was insane. It was like Keystone cops, right? They're like, right, da, 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 da. right? And I'm like, good Jesus, good God, you know. <laughs> and then they come going out. No, nothing going on here. And it was actually like, you know. They were looking for trouble in the punk rock scene, right? So right. it was not my thing, right? <laughs> and there was nothing going on there. And I thought, and to me, that was the night I met Mike. And Mike will disagree with this because he, he and I will agree with Michael because, like I said, you know, I fucking. Michael was probably there. <laughs> Mike, I thought Mike was there. And we were playing our show and there's somebody was clapping. Here's how I remember it. Somebody was clapping, right? Right. After our songs, which is like. So, you know, this isn't about clapping. You right. know what I mean? We just, you know. <laughs> and then this guy comes up to me in flannel, all sweaty, and that's the that's the night I thought I met Mike. You know, so uh, that let's uh, see. So I don't know. It was just a, it was, there was a little moment there. I fuck this shit, man. I want to talk about Brett's movies. <laughs> well, that's what I was gonna say. You had an opportunity to make a movie about a film period that was very similar to that punk rock scene. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> similar. It's <laughs> similar. It is such a, I mean, yeah. So I, 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 I was, uh, The movie, though, is, I think the movie, the, the, the movie the kid sees in the picture is, um, is you know, it's, free, it's it, it was punk in its own right in that there were no rules. There was no, I mean, that was the beauty of the movie was that there were, there was no, we couldn't look to other films for inspiration. There was nothing to draw on. The only right. movie I had to draw on was a movie called because it's a movie about the. Have you seen it? Yeah, it was, you know, it's a guy talking off camera for ninety five minutes. So the only the only movie I had was reference was a movie called Marlene, that I think Max von Maximilian Schell or Max von Sydow made about Marlene Dietrich, in which you never see her. All the shots are of her apartment in Paris. Wow. And that was like the only thing because you go. And I remember when we went and pitched the studio the film because it was financed by Diller's company, Barry Diller's company, USA Films. And, you know, it, the pitch is terrible. It's a movie about a guy talking off camera for 95 minutes. You're never going to see him. What are we going to see? We're going to see uh, photographs and his house, you know. I mean, it just doesn't. It's not, it's not a very compelling studio film. But um, through osmosis, uh, here's, what, here's the interesting thing about that film was we cut the audio first. We, cut, we put music in. We put audio in. And then we had to visualize it. And I knew that it was because it was financed by a studio. It, and E! True Hollywood Story was like a big fucking TV sh series at the time. So if you wanted fucking t bunch of talking heads telling you a story, you can go watch it on E! True Hollywood Story. That if people were going to pay $7 to go see a movie, we had to give them something big. So there was that. But then there was also the fact that Bob Evans was a, you know, the, the premise for the film was from um, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. When the legend becomes fact, right, print right. the legend. So Bob the is man this great who shot Liberty <laughs> Valance. <laughs> he shot Gene Pitney, I think. There, yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, and Bob is a great one. storyteller, right? right? So is that him? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's him narrating. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so then that was an unconventional approach to nonfiction, 
And you know, he's a, he's a great storyteller. I was never going to fact check anything. So I wanted to create a sort of, and here is a guy who got everything in his life based on his image. Right. So image was the movie's about imagery and about image making. And so the the idea of distorting the images, using After Effects to distort the images, which is what the film's pretty well known for, really came from this place of it works so well with the theme of the film of being about image making and this sort of dis, dis, dishonest narrator. Uh-huh. You know, but, so the so his reality shit. is distorted. So the images are distorted. Why is why is it distorted? On well, his- he's a he's a Bob is a wonderful storyteller. So when you know it's that idea when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. But he did these things though. So I you know the great thing about Bob is here's 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 Bob Evans and and I love him to death. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life spending five years with Bob. You know, and, and I have to say as a documentarian, that is the the best part of my job is you get to immerse yourself in these cultures that you otherwise would never have access to. Like I had spent four years in Bedford Stuyvesant in, in the um, worst housing projects in America, and then straight from there to Beverly Hills to Bob Evans' house for five years. The Bed Stuy thing was the boxing guys. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's a fucking not nasty world, right? That, uh, yeah. You know who's yeah. a boxer? Uh, Bill. Bill, you box. I, I was boxing for quite a while up at the I wild knocked card. Bill shit cold out though, dude. Yeah. I, I was three and three. Oh, I, that's it. I Let's go. Three three and, three. I, Let's I, go. I, I was three and zero oh with two knockouts. And, and then, then what happened, Bill? I, they build your record up. They build you up. And I, I lost. You up. I lost three split decisions. I, uh, you know, it just happens. Um, so suddenly but, you're with Bob fucking Evans, right? Yeah, and that was I, no. So the thing about his stories is this: he can always. You would hear these stories, and you would think that like there's no way. There's no way that this happened. And then somehow Bob would always have, like, he'd pick up the phone and there'd be some sort of proof or something. But I will tell you one really fucking funny one where he told me that he went to the Cannes Film Festival one year to sell um, to sell the Cotton Club and he raised, like, $50 million in one day. Right? Because Bob, Bob's stories are so are so grandiose. And so I called him out. Like, we were sitting, it was after the movie was made and I was sitting in his bedroom with him and I said Bob I'm gonna call you out on that one <laughs> I was like you did not do 50 and 50 million back then was a sh- fucking insane like you did not raise 50 million in one day that did not happen and he goes yes it did I go, yeah, I go, I go there's no way and he goes uh, I have proof to you it is in the New York Times I'll show it to you right now and he goes out and, and he calls for the, his major domo and uh, could you bring in the New York Times from the color club and the butler comes out and brings the New York Times and Bob reads in, from this article in the New York Times, a quote from himself saying, <laughs> I went to I the really Cannes Film Festival and I sold, uh, raised $50 million in one day. And it looks at me and goes, see, I told you, it was in the New York Times. But with no irony. I mean, it was right, right. But who gives a shit? Because he's a fucking good storyteller. And, the, and, and, and to me, the, I'm not a journalist. So, I, these, so to me, film is mythology. You know, it's, a, it's a form of myth-making. And, and, and I, I sort of embrace it. And, and yet there's truth. Right, and there's truth in fiction, and there's truth in nonfiction. So I think the film, the kid says in the picture, gets at the core of who Bob Evans is, as okay, the way that the Stones film hopefully does. Okay, now and then we can talk about well, montage because montage is, uh, you know, it's a, that was a, because th- this is an interesting situation, right? Because you knew Kurt, you know, yeah. and 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 in a way, it's funny because I used to people. When I think about Kurt and I think about what happened to him, I think that like in Kurt's mind, his dream, his ambition was to be like the Meat Puppets or Sonic Youth. It wasn't to be 
what happened and i think that's where things got fucked up like you, you got to create and do your shit kind of without that added thing that he had to well in, you know here, here's here's just one observation is that yeah. you know jesus fuck i'd love to have a fucking slice of what the fuck that dude had but maybe maybe the reason that i would like to have what that guy had right was to give the art you know that you know what i mean mm-hmm. to like f- f- let allow the art to ex- to 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 blow out like that. How many artists have done that? You know, I mean, there's not a whole lot of, you know, um, but Jesus Christ was, was Bob Evans a happy guy? Was he, you know, I mean, he, you know, no, I mean, because someone like Bob is always worrying. There's always, it's, you think there's never, you can never settle. You can never be content. I mean, you know, I sort of, I, I'm sort of the same way that like, I'm not, I don't ever arrive arrive at a place where I'm happy the sound's always off the picture's always off something's always something's always off there's I, I don't know and it's a terrible thing to go through life and not have that sort of peace of mind you know that 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 serenity of sort of arriving especially when you sort of go after your your show sort of project oriented and you're putting everything you have into the project and you it's it's there and then you can't even like enjoy it, you know. You have to fucking start getting lost into the. So next what thing. about the Rolling Fucking Stones? The Stones were like that was the first time in my life I ever did something. Are those guys happy? Like, yes, yes. Ah, good to hear. I would say they. I would say that Keith, uh, Bill Wyman's not happy. Well, Bill's Bill, just Bill, fucking Bill, bass player. Bill, Here's the thing: I'm did, the did fucking bass player. Talk- oh my god, dude! I wanted to make the Bill Wyman story. That, and 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 I, this is the first time I'm ever saying this publicly. But the 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 movie, uh, the the first version of Crossfire Hurricane was very heavy on Bill Wyman. Very heavy because I thought I I thought Bill was such a great way into it because he was in it and out of it. You know what I mean? Bill was sober. Bill was like, did you know that? I'm sober. Yeah, no. I, 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 but Bill went through the whole thing sober. Like, you know, and so like so, Bill, Bill, so, Bill <laughs> so you you can relate to Bill. Bill Bill basically said to me, this was like, uh, I, here, this was like the most intense interview I, I've ever sat for, right? Right. We're first day and Bill lives around the corner from Mick, but not in, it's nowhere near as posh, but it's, it's nice, but it's not, it's a totally different vibe, right? <laughs> and, we're sitting down and we're talking and um, he gets about 25 minutes in and he said, you know, I've written two books about being in the stones, stone alone. And I forget the other one. And he goes, but I never wanted to do what Keith did. I never wanted to do like a gossip monger tell all, you know, he goes, that's not my thing, but I've got to, I've got to get this off my chest. And he proceeded over the course of five more days of interviews to paint this picture that uh, anyone who's been around addicts could uh, would certainly appreciate. But it was, a, you know, Bill said that there's not a day he's been in. He, had, he left the band 25 years ago. He said he wakes up at least once a week with cold sweats, having nightmares about being back in the band. I mean, it's a wow. fucking... Because, I don't get it. I don't get that. Well, the, get, it, get this, is that so when you're... This was his point of view. He's a, he's the fucking. He's very straight. Okay. He is a very straight, grounded guy. I got a sense of Bill. Bill doesn't like flying. Okay, it's like, and you can look at it sort of metaphorically, right? Bill doesn't That'd like be being tough. in the air. Well, that is tough. That was the final straw for him. On paper, was this sort of plane incident in India. He's a good fucking bass player. Oh, he's a, Jesus he's Christ. a nine to five. Huh? 
No, Bill's that a working a class. Sick fucking bass oh, player. Bill's a working class. What Mick and Keith would refer to as an Ernie. A what? Ernie. Ernie? That was an English phrase for like working class stiff. Okay. Right? So God, Bill is really good though. Oh, we're not <laughs> going we're not talking about how good he is. We're okay. talking about the fact that like Bill, you know, Keith. So would those say, guys, okay, now so wait a minute. Get, now so wait a Keith minute. goes, I oh, will see you at the studio tomorrow at five. Okay. So Bill shows up at five. Hang on a second. <laughs> now let me come to the fucking rescue of my dear bass playing brethren, Bill. <laughs> Fuck the guitar player. And let alone the lead motherfucking singer. Bill, I hope everything is beautiful in your world, and I wish you a lot of love, my brother. You are on point. <laughs> Next. <laughs> so so, so he shows up at 5, and then what happens well, after Well, then, that? you know, then like around at 10 or 11, I think you know, one of the other guys would walk in, and then around, two, around 2 in the morning, he would give up. And he would go home, and then Keith would show up, and then okay. Keith would show up, okay, now we're and then he'd go, "Where's shit. Bill?" No, now we're and they would go, shit. "They would go." Uh, Bill went home, and Here's Keith's a- like, "Let's go fuck with him." Here's so then cool- he would go to Bill's house, wake him up at five in the morning, okay. pull him out of bed, and you know, it's- this is the this. I read a thing one time. I, I'm pretty sure talking. Keith was talking about like you know, his relationship with Bill, right, and how, you know, Bill like wanted to be the guy that was making the shit that they did, right? And that's what I was talking about with my brother, right? When yeah. suddenly my brother allowed me the opportunity to have access to compositions, yeah. right? And and Keith said about Bill, well, go ahead. You know what I mean? And Bill actually does it. So as a bass player, I would just like to say, what we need to do is form some sort of a fucking bass player militia. Union. Right? Right? No, like a militia. Like a fucking, like, you know. <laughs> Go after these fuckers. I've said it for years. Four thick good strings versus six thin evil strings, let alone the motherfucking lead singer. Lead singer, I'm going to fucking, just, you know, just, that's the wayside. Well, Jesus fuck. Well, I think the other thing that was tough for all the guys in the band, too, was that Mick and Keith got all the publishing. So when they were between gigs... Oh, that's the hell of it. Well, and, and that's the hell they of it. They, they had no money. And was what it, does the bass it, player say? Let me, let, let me, let me shit this one out one more time. What does the bass player say when he steps up to the microphone? Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? <laughs> Bada ding. That is pretty disparaging. But how about the drummer jokes? Let me let me let, let me put out the drummer joke. My favorite drummer joke. How can you tell when the drum riser is level? Drool runs out both sides of the drummer's mouth. <laughs> but what I heard about you know Charlie though was like the dude is always there. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's where I'm coming from. Eighteen I mean, hours a day, right there. Leading, first leading. In, First dude in, last yeah. dude out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where I'm at as a bass player. And I, you know, if Charlie didn't need to get to that, or I mean, uh, uh, Bill, you know, if he could fucking let that shit go, that's that's on him. You know. But I fucking love playing, man. I yeah. really fucking love it. You yeah. know. And 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 I I I fucking am so glad that I have my brother to give me the opportunity to fucking play some fucking music. Because otherwise, I mean, I can still play, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's going to be little bass note, little bass note, here's a little bass note, and there goes the bass note, you know what I mean? And it, it's going to be like what it is, but with a composition, you you know, you, 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 you play fucking shows, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I could play shows alone, but it'd be, you know, just like a bass show and like and 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 that's fine that would be fine too let me see let me think <laughs> jesus no, christ bill give, call. bill give me a call bill give me a call you and i got some stuff to talk about so no wait 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 okay go ahead let's see no so let's see so what about the fucking godfather though bill wyman made the godfather yeah right <laughs> <laughs> 
shit. Isn't that one of the reasons Mick Taylor left the band, though? So, why okay, you made so, the, uh, so what, how about the Cobain movie? Let's get yeah. to that. Yeah. So you made a movie about the motherfucking uh, so Nirvana. The, yeah. So what happened with that was um, Courtney saw the kid stays in the picture, and she liked how I worked with photographs. Okay. And she... She uh, she wanted to have a meeting, and this was in 2007. And she said, um, she said, uh, you know, Kurt was. People don't know this, but Kurt was really an artist, and more than he was a musician, he was an artist. And I have all this art, and it's in a warehouse, and it's just sitting there. And I think we someone should make a movie about you know using it as some sort of thing for a movie. And because you know what you did with the photographs and the kid, I think you'd be the right person to sort of bring this up to life. And what she didn't know, she had no idea, nor could she, and I don't think she does to this day, is how personal that Kurt story was. I didn't know either. I didn't, I had no clue at that point. Because what I knew about Kurt at that point was outside of being the same age and sort of being into underground music in the 80s, um, I saw them play at my Hampshire college you know, and when Nirvana broke, it was like, well, holy fuck, we won the war. You know, it was like that. There was that moment because we had grown up with Reagan and Bush and all that shit, right? But okay, but no, come that's to, bitching. That is fucking bitching, man. That, but that's how I viewed it. It was like Clinton and Nirvana. Chris had his great saying. Chris is like, you know, Nirvana broke and Clinton takes it and comes in the White House. Here's the thing, though. But Kurt dies and the Republicans sweep the Congress. But Chris is still really tall. <laughs> he is. He is nothing. Fucking. He's abnormally you. tall. He's really fucking tall. But but define. But gives new meaning to gentle giant. Oh, gentle giant. Let's talk about gentle fucking giant. Are you in a gentle giant? Uh. The the British fucking. Uh, oh come on now. Don't leave me hanging here, you guys. Don't go with don't, the don't, giant. Don't leave my English fucking... English prog rock band? Yeah, totally. Come on with me, Bill. Let's roll down. Bill, go for it. That's you. I, I Bill. Can't, I can't, Bill. It's all Bill. It's oh, all Bill. I don't know. Oh, I mean, Gentle Giant and Yes were like... That's that's why I liked what happened in America shortly after that. But I... I anyway, so so with Kurt, mm-hmm. I, the the his narrative, his life story, mm-hmm. as at least as he presented it in his work, was something that um, that really resonated uh, with me on, th- on a lot of very personal levels. Do you think artists? I mean, no, I don't think he put. I don't go ahead. Do you think that he thought of that? No, you know, in those of course terms? not. No. It's embedded, no. man. It's embedded. You know and, what? And I'm going to trust. That, are you somebody that's able to like, you know, then put it into a framework? You know what I mean? Yeah. To, to put it into something yeah, like that, a film. I mean, yeah, you obviously yeah, yeah, are. Yeah, I mean, no, you made this a fucking is, movie But here's about the it. thing with the, here's the thing with why this the the montage of hack was so um, such a interesting experience right normally i'm filming people who are much older than me or doing documentaries about guys who are much older or dead okay um oh, but from a different so. generation right thanks a lot so kurt's our age right kurt, right. kurt you know same generation not my fucking and age. i didn't uh, okay <laughs> and, and, and i didn't know him right. right i never met the man right but so who am i to say to even have a discussion about him but he left so much shit and when you look at all of it, and of course, none of his friends had access to all this stuff. This is all of his fucking okay. shit, right? And so starting from the age of three, and so you're looking at it all, and a story starts to appear. There's a, there's a, there's a clear narrative that starts to surface at a certain point. You start to see repetition in themes. And I think that, um, yeah, so I think I was able to present... 
using his, his art, I was able to curate it in a way that told a story. Today's show was recorded at Winslow Court Studios in Hollywood, California. Whoa!